So like going forward with Low My Praxis, we'll have like a regular release schedule and it'll be like every two weeks. That's manageable, right? Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. It's cool, it's cool. We'll start releasing episodes like after Christmas. Um, I think that's what the people want. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Definitely by the end of January. Like when term starts, like we'll, we'll, we'll match up with the academic year. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Friday? Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. Hey besties. We at Low My Praxis would like to apologise to our loyal legions of fans. We flew too close to the sun with our five-star, better-than-four-star world-leading output, and the Contemporary Academy melted our wings. It will probably happen again. XO, XO, Law My Praxis. Thank you. What? What is catnip? So apparently, you basically just make it like tea, but with catnip and drain it. Um, Oh, wow. But yeah, they, they call it cat wine to make it a bit more exquisite or I don't wow. know exotic she's she's got you know very I wouldn't say oh, like high taste because actually she doesn't she's a little whore um <laughs> just, just as a preface I don't like the words like whore and slut I never use when I'm talking about people but this cat <laughs> the way that she struts <laughs> about there is no other word for how um cats move about the place than just slutting about the only acceptable <laughs> usage. Um, anyway, welcome to the podcast. Sorry, <laughs> already. Um, we've not recorded in a while, so this is probably no, fine. So. Fresh batch of victims. I mean, guests. It's great. Welcome. <laughs> um, do you want to do the? Shall I do the the actual intro? Would you? And then you could do the kazoo because I don't have my kazoo today. Yeah, because I'm in the office. It's a professional space. Conveniently. <laughs> okay. The professional right. uh, university, she doesn't keep a kazoo in the office. <laughs> I should get a backup. Um, okay, cool. So, hello and welcome to Lol My Praxis. Today we are speaking with Dr. David Farrier, who is Professor of Literature and the Environment at Edinburgh University. David's research focuses on really cheery topics, including plastic pollution, nuclear radiation and species loss. Um, his interests in poetry and the Anthropocene are particularly geared towards question of scale, and he questions how poetry might help us think through what it means that humanity's role is becoming increasingly geological, um, or geological agents, as he puts it. David had the audacity to publish two excellent books in one academic year, uh, Anthropocene Poetics, <laughs> with the University of Minnesota Press, and the award-winning Footprints in Search of Future Fossils, which made the Times list of top books of 2020. I think that's right. Um, we are both disgusted, intimidated, and jealous. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't come across any of David's research, you may know of him through his ingenious tactics to upset HR departments through innovative strike declaration word searches. Um, welcome to the podcast. Did we get that correct? This is all gleaned from various online <laughs> profiles. <laughs> close enough. It's all close enough. Close enough. Okay, cool. No, it was. It's, it's not close enough. You've won multiple awards. Is that it? No. I, I think you, you slightly, you slightly um, burnish my achievements by saying I published two books in a year. It wasn't quite that close together. But oh no! Wait, how close was it? I'll take it. Uh, um, 13 months apart, I think. Wow. What is time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, time is a construct, Mm. I think. Yeah. And when it comes to time, what is better, length or depth? (laughs) Um, It really depends on the context, I think, there. Um, And you know, individual preference, perhaps. <laughs> so for people who don't know about the concepts of like, I mean, I think the idea of like length of time is quite familiar, but, but what is like um, deep, deep time? What does it mean to have depth deep. or girthy time? <laughs> girthy time. Girthy time is extremely girthy. Girthy time, deep time is the time of the earth, the time, uh, time of the oh, time scale earth. On planetary processes unfold. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. It was a terrible pun. You, a terrible you were glad pun you on, yeah. Say it again, say it again, Louise, so everyone can get it terribly again. <clears throat> Time of the gut earth. 
earth. Absolutely. Wow. This is what happens when you don't prepare. <laughs> Rude. I have some questions in front of me. Yes. Yeah, so, so what 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 is the time of the the, the earth like? Because yeah, you're speaking to absolute philistines here. And I, well, no, that's not true. Excuse me. I've read the book. I know you. You're the philistine. <laughs> Please don't tar me with the same brush. <laughs> you really do this when you invite environmental people on. Oh my god, I know so much. We're not. We, we, we haven't. We haven't spoken in a while. This is not a time or place for us to argue, Louise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's in order to pour some oil on these slightly choppy waters. Um, the time of the Earth, or girth time as we're calling it now, is it's the time on which geological processes unfold. So we're talking about timescales at which you know mountains, mountain ranges are raised up or new continents take shape. You know, we're talking about time in the order of millions, tens, even hundreds of millions of years. And my interest is in how human activity is sort of intervening in that. So, you know, on the one hand, you know, we're, we're changing how the entire Earth system operates, you know, by adding carbon to the atmosphere, by um, changing um, the composition and the functioning of ecosystems, um, you know, biodiversity is hemorrhaging, that's going to have effects uh, for millions of years to come. Um, in some form or another. So we're kind of intervening on this scale and we're, you know, we're becoming uh, a kind of geological actor, as, you know, as Dipesh Chakrabarti puts it, geological agents. Um, so in some ways, we're seeing deep time accelerating. You know, we're seeing things happen in a few generations that would otherwise take um, an extremely long time to unfold. But on the other hand, we're kind of creating a presence for ourselves that is highly durable. You know, we are, you know, we're creating monuments to ourselves all over the place, whether it's in the terms of our cities that are full of these highly durable materials, the plastic we're sticking in the oceans, our carbon's going to stay in the atmosphere for tens, perhaps upwards to 100,000 years until the last traces are weathered away. So um, we're, we're doing strange things to time, I think, in the course of also changing the planet. Uh, so there you go, that's... That's deep time or girth time. I'm gonna always, I'm always gonna call it girth time. And I'm expecting citations. It's better than thick time. I mean, that's basically what people thought thick time was. They're just, you know, they're trying to specialize it. <laughs> yeah, thick time without the K. <laughs> um, we like to play a game to begin the podcast. Well, it's, it, it's, it, we say it's a game. It's not a game. It's actually a really rigorous process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in sort of more scientific social science papers where you reflect on your methodology. We like to do this via the kazoo. Um, so the, the methodology kazoo is like a game. So it's like, name that tune, but it's related to your research. And it's, but it's not related to your research. It's related on how we have perceived your research. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be completely wrong. So the game is, what is it? And why do we think it summarizes your research? <laughs> okay, so I don't mind if it's wrong as long as it's not too wounding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, I'll do the second option. <laughs> I always forget which way around to do this. I think it's the... The big end. The big end. The... Is that the the girth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually planned. Okay, just finding my center. I was going to do more. Um, okay, so I, I, I was enjoying that so much, I wasn't even sure what I was <laughs> Is that if I could turn back time? Yes. Oh, beautifully done. So why? I think this has been the first in a while that has actually gotten it in one. <laughs> so why is chair should be doing it central to your practice? <laughs> so that can why is chair central to your praxis? Um... Why isn't Cher central to your practice? I mean, come oh, on. she totally is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, plastics, like that's a thing, right, in her face? 
Yeah, seven. all the plastic, definitely all the plastic. Are you calling Cher a future fossil? How dare you? You <laughs> take that back, Louise, my No, God. seriously, though, the temporalities of Cher, a lot of her <laughs> is older than other parts of her. Look, disgust. Yeah, Cher is out of joint, um, temporarily, you might say. Mm-hmm. One, one might say. How does Cher's temporalities intersect and impact the, ampro- the Anthropocene? Can't say it. Anthropocene. <laughs> Protein. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like that. <laughs> um, well, when you know, when when all that's left is is cockroaches and and the burning sun, surely they'll be Cher. <laughs> striding through, mm-hmm. striding through the. Um, the apocalypse scape. She's the ruling life know. after the apocalypse. How does she relate to the Anthropocene? I imagine she's taken a lot of flights. <laughs> <laughs> what her carbon I mean, all the glitter as well that she has yeah. on all her fantastic costumes. True. Do you believe in life after the Anthropocene? I have a question then. So if you could turn back time, as the fantastic song um, indicates, what would you do not in like a personal level but in terms of if we're thinking about anthropocene and this concept that you have of future fossils which i don't think actually we've defined yet apart from suggesting that it is share the embodiment of one um <laughs> if you could turn back time and prevent the creation of one future fossil which one would it be oh that's a good question crikey um i mean okay so the obvious answer is probably you know, somehow getting all the those men who invented ways of burning coal for energy and locking them in a room, or just burying them underground. Um, uh, yes, that I mean, that, a fuel source. Yeah, that I mean that that would that would certainly have an impact, I think, mm. on the kind of world we're living in that in now. But have given that I mentioned carbon footprints just a moment ago. Maybe what I'd actually do is um, take the person who came up with that. BP carbon footprint campaign about 20 years ago and just lock them in a room because I think the damage that that framing of of the whole crisis in our relationship has done um, has been really drastic and it's still something we're reckoning with now you know the way that that allows you know the people responsible for kind of systemic problems to to just stay in the shadows so yeah either coal or that one BP advertising exec can get locked into a box <laughs> and thrown in the sea and thrown in the sea <laughs> yes and then they can be a subject of your research instead. yeah perfect exactly exactly then it's on my territory perfect mm. so like so i don't know anything about this because as alex pointed out i'm the philistine of this podcast like the whole idea about a footprint is just was just something invented by the carbon industry then because i don't i don't know this at all is it just like a con yeah so there was this advert that and it it really had a huge impact i think i mean alex you might correct me on this but i think it was like 2003 it was something like that 2006 a while ago uh, they came up with this award-winning advertising campaign where they they popularized this idea that we all have a carbon footprint and 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 they introduced the the first carbon footprint calculator um, and it was to personalize, um, you know, damage to the planet, you know, to, to let BP off the hook, really. And it's, it's hugely attractive, isn't it? Because, you know, it, it comes with this message of empowerment. If you know what your impact is, you can do something about it. But, you know, really, you know, even if, if, if we all stopped flying, if we all stopped driving, you know, and insulated our homes individually, we still, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. It's the system, man. Yeah. Can I just say for the record that I stopped using plastic straws? <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> that's that's the, that's probably going to tip it, actually. You know, that's going to tip everything in the right no, it direction. Might. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, essentially placing the blame on everything that isn't big industry and war yeah. and everything else yeah, is yeah, disgusting. Yeah. Right. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Right. Mm. So we're all suckers. Great. Cool. <laughs> yeah. a bunch of, yeah. If you look into it, there's a huge history of like environmental um, campaigns being like dark moneyed. Is that a word? It was now like um, like mm. a lot of the advertising campaigns themselves are funded by like um, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo mm. or like, you know, 
BP or all these other kind yeah. of things. So anytime that someone's trying to shame you into feeling bad about the environment, just take a look at who's funding that. Who's funding yeah. your shame? Um, which is also <laughs> the new report format for, um, you know, AHRC. Um, <laughs> research fish. <laughs> <laughs> research bitch who's funding your shame <laughs> you can like smell it in the water like, <laughs> and I just had like when all that was going on all I just had was this kind of Jaws discourse when I was like yeah I don't know research <laughs> as Jaws that was the tangent that you weren't privy to in my brain but you're right <laughs> I enjoyed it I like I like following it so in terms of then the the choice of the of your book title footprints is that yeah. kind of a conscious nod to the um carbon assholes that's definitely <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't really, I didn't find out about the history of that until after the book was published so no, oh, no. It's, it's not, and I really wish it was because it's something I'd, I'd had a good rant about mm. uh, in the book if mm. I if I had no footprints is much more about the kind of physical traces we're going to leave behind and mm. I think about these more stories you know you know in in a hundred thousand years you know what's going to be left of our cities you know, you know, with seas rise, if we have to, you know, if we lose some of them, if, you know, if people have to migrate inland or cross borders, you know, some cities are going to change radically, they mm. might even be abandoned. Um, they're going to enter the, the geological record. Before that, they'll be part of the archaeological record. What stories are people going to tell about us? Will they think, you know, uh, we were good ancestors? At this rate, probably not. Or are they going um, to think that we were, you know... Mm-hmm really really bad <laughs> <laughs> really, really didn't give a shit mm. um, about about the world we were passing on to them mm. so yeah footprints is more sort of way of, it's a metaphor for thinking about you know what what traces are we leaving behind what stories is it going to tell mm. about about how we thought about yeah. the planet and yeah. and future generations and when you were writing um footprints did you ever look down and notice that there was only one set who carried you <laughs> when you wrote this down earlier I still I I laughed but I also didn't understand it as a question it's that stupid thing about how I was walking I I don't know maybe it's because I'm Catholic oh it's just the Jesus thing yeah the Jesus thing like oh I was walking with Jesus Jesus but then there was only one where were you Lord I carried you who carried you David This is actually a question about collaboration. Yeah, um. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think what carried me through was um, caffeine and a sense of a looming deadline. Like it does us all. <laughs> See, this is the thing, Mike. So, do you ever find that um, researching such vast temporal scales? Do you ever try and sort of just like get out of deadlines by just saying, like, actually, this this scale that you've provided me is not conducive to the research I'm actually trying to provide. <laughs> um. um. Well, it works the other way because with climate change, everything's accelerating. So that means the deadlines just could be getting closer and closer and coming faster and faster. So I try not to, I try not to open that particular can of worms. To be honest, <laughs> um, I think it could backfire quite spectacularly. Light peer review. Sorry, genuine question. It's not just my nonsense. <laughs> um, so, so practically speaking, then to get a sense of kind of the discussions that are in the book and, and the research, like when you say sort of imagining what cities, what these scapes will look like, and what what impact we will have. What sort of what do you mean? Is it's engaging in stories, it's engaging in storytelling? But if you if you had to explain it to my mother, who's a big fan of the podcast, what are these cities going to be? Like, what, what sort of, what does a fossilised city look like in right. deep so, time forward? Yeah. No problem. What's your mum's name? My mum's name? Faye. Yeah. Sorry? Faye. Faye. Okay, Faye, I hope you're sitting comfortably. Got your cup of tea. <laughs> Settle in. Um, so uh, what will happen, for, you know, if we, if we can tell a story about how cities, cities will fossilise over, you know, that, that will, you know, it spans, say, 100 million years. Um, and, you know, just as a, a preface to this, you know, um, this is, you know, take, takes me way outside my comfort zone as a somebody who works with poetry. Um, and the whole process of 
you know, getting into this line of research is really about leaning into the ignorance, really leaning into it, you know, um, and finding the people who can who can help me out. And I spoke to a geologist about this who who has worked extensively, Jan Zalasovitz, on on you know what will our future fossils be? What will be the traces of the Anthropocene? And I asked him, how can you be so certain that this process? will um, happen. And he said, well, actually, you know, turn it around. How would you stop it? You know, the, the, our cities, you know, our mega cities are exist on such a vast scale, such huge quantities of durable, quasi kind of neo-geological materials like concrete and glass and steel. Um, and that, you know, the foundations of the largest buildings punch tens of metres into the ground. And many of them are on coastlines. The seas are, you know, levels are rising. You know, how would you stop it? You know, the, these these processes are already set in train. So, you know, assuming somewhere like Shanghai, which is where I visit for the book, um, is, you know, kind of loses the battle against sea level rise. You know, say over maybe a couple of thousand years, you know, the, the surface level buildings will erode. They'll get, you know, they'll get broken down. You know, I have to say, you know, uh, you know, so many thousand years, there really won't be much at all at the surface, but it, the whole story is about what's beneath the ground. And it'll be this process of slow transformations mm-hmm. of you know, subsurface levels. So imagine you've got an underground kind of um, shopping mall with a car park underneath it. Um, you know, that'll begin, you know, um, uh, calcium will begin to leach out and form these kind of stalagmites and kind of hammer horror um, kind of cavern as the um, as 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 water begins to treacle down it leaches it out of out of the out of the concrete um, any metals that are left there over a period of time will gradually transform you know particularly iron will will, will oxidize and 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 transform into pyrite into fool's gold so you might have um, you know, might have kind of stainless steel chairs or, you know, whole kind of kitchens if it's a food court or parts of a car that begin to sort of get this golden sheet as they're buried. Um, and as we go further into deep time, it gets compressed and and, and, and and certain objects might begin to fossilize. You might get the fossilized outlines of everyday objects like mobile phones or spectacles or shoes or whatever it is. Um, and extraordinary stories might be told about who you know left these spaces behind? Like you know, if, if you know if any clothes get fossilized, you know, plastic clothes, a neoprene wetsuit, a shoe, it'll tell something about the shape of our bodies. Um, it'll tell something about about the kind of connected world we lived in. You know, if 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 a future archaeologist could take the remains of a mobile phone or another kind of highly kind of technological item, and you know, they'd be able to tell. Well, you know, these materials came from a long way from where we found them you know, maybe even on other continents, tells a whole story about the kind of world we lived in. Um, and, you know, even, um, you know, going, you know, to tens, even a hundred million years from now, somewhere like Shanghai will be still legible as a kind of meter thick, say, strip in the geological strata, uh, full of all these kind of artificial materials and fossil traces. So it's a really, really deep impression that we're leaving on the future. Hope that was clear enough, Faye. Um, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get feedback. Um, she's in a mood with me because we originally used to refer to her as our biggest fan at the end of the podcast. But mm-hmm. since Jeremy Corbyn once liked one of our tweets, we've been referencing him as our biggest fan. And my mother isn't a fan of Jeremy Corbyn, so she's raging every time. She's like, every time I hear that, that, that man, and it would be that man. It's just university politics, Louise. Just university politics. Anyway, um, I was really struck when you were talking about the transition to fool's gold. So is there like a discourse with like, you know, the folly of capitalism? Like, you know, if, if we're going into the future, I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's a cheap pun. But like, it's very suggestive. No, I mean, yeah, I, I, I really I really make a lot of that in the book. You know, it, um, <laughs> you, know, you ne- never let the low hanging fruit go. I think never pass it by. No, yeah, I think, it, said, you know, it, right. it, 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 yeah, it's very suggestive of, of, of yeah, the folly, mm-hmm. It also sounds really beautiful in a weird way, right? Is there any yeah. kind of aspects of your discussion that kind of goes into that weird, like, I don't know, Anthropocene sublime stuff that's kind of quite a big discourse in some ways in terms of, like, yes, these, these the, the grand scale of all these elements are both horrifying but also quite beautiful. The idea of, like, a fully gold 
food court sounds both horrifying but also kind of like really shiny. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who who wouldn't who wouldn't want to want to go there? Um, yeah, it is a bit of a danger, and you know, I think I mean readers would be able to well they'll judge for themselves how well I manage that. Um, you know, particularly when you're talking about deep time scales, it's a very charismatic subject, mm. you know. Um, and I think the only thing to do is try not to lose sight of the fact that, you know, all these questions about what traces are we leaving, what will our future fossils be, that, you know, for me, they're meant not to sort of take us just to the distant future, you know, almost as a form of escapism. They're really meant to connect us right now. Um, you know, this is a question you know, to what's happening on the planet. You know, for me, the question of, you know, what will our future fossils be? Are we being good ancestors? Is intimately and directly connected to the fact that India is experiencing this appalling, unsurvivable, horrific heat wave, Mm -hmm. uh, to the prospect of serial um, extreme storms on the Atlantic seaboard, again, this, um, you know, know, and and the people that will be displaced and the lives that will be lost, to the the fact that, you know, we we are very likely to see more bleaching events of of the Great Barrier Reef um, Mm -hmm. as well. So the, it's yeah, it's a it is a danger, and 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 I kind of hope that if nothing else, that is, you know, the appeal of that that kind of Anthropocene sublime, as you said, might bring more people in to read it, and and therefore to then actually confront some of the harder questions mm-hmm. that the book also tries to pose. Tries to pose. Gold, are you as you think about the vast girth of time i was wondering um just with that phrasing about the anthropocene sublime i think i managed to say it that time but um you know is it was you you work on poetry a lot so is there sort of like i'm not saying new romanticism because that's something else um that's like 1980s and uh, like flight right (laughs) but is there sort of uh i don't know romanticism for gen z happening and in these sorts of <laughs> meditations i don't know well now i've just got spandau ballet and gold spandau ballet and gold. <laughs> they look quite piratey as well when you say pirate i always just think pirates not the headbands yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i mean I, I mean i think a lot of poets are very wary of this kind of you know romantic either with a large or a small r big or a little r um to you know in their approach to you know environmental crisis and so on i think there's a lot of awareness of how problematic a lot of that that heritage you know how um how it really you know that a lot of that approach to the natural world really was seeking to kind of put the natural world to work in different ways even if only philosophically mm-hmm. rather than you know thinking about you know what is you know what is this environment what is this ecosystem mm-hmm. what is this organism in and for and of itself mm-hmm. um you know looking to you know to to capture it as as metaphor for a human experience mm-hmm. you know words with derwin you know the river the river that speaks to him as a child um that's first and foremost should have said um, don't write any fucking poetry <laughs> <laughs> I hate words. Sorry. <laughs> oh and your sister, she's dodgy. And she did a lot of our episodes. Dorothy's so dull. Final word on the subject. <laughs> um, sorry, just to ask a little bit more about poetry, just briefly. Um, can poetry prove that the earth is flat? Discuss. Mm. Alex, you, you can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is I, I don't I don't do the interviewing. I yeah, I'm not an interviewee. I, I'm I'm the one that asks ask the questions. <laughs> um a poetry can prove the world is flat as much as poetry can prove anything else. <laughs> as much as it can prove anything, mm. it may as well prove the world is flat. Yeah. And as literary scholars and people that engage with poetics, can mm-hmm. poetry prove anything? Or are you just nothing? Ooh. Are we just nothing? <laughs> um, Shut up, medical humanities. Go away. <laughs> We're critical medical humanities. We're critical medical humanities. We read a novel. 
The novel is a tool of the Anthropocene, Louise. It's your fault, actually. Your coal-heavy, carbon-heavy printed words. Poetry's light and ephemeral. It's got zero impact. That's my position. Yeah, we're just full of shit. But equally, if I drop a Dickens novel, it makes a fucking impact. You know about it. <laughs> Take that ground. <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah is that what we mean by sort of geological agents like i have a really ridiculous image of um like kind of like humans as sort of like spies but for rocks i don't know like the idea of a geological agent everyone's wearing sunglasses and sort of like snooping around <laughs> yeah like um spy versus spy yeah exactly rock spies <laughs> yeah if I'd, it would be a lot more exciting i think <laughs> Oh, we've done that thing, Louise. We haven't asked our, big, our other only question that we ask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have two things that we always do every podcast and we always forget. Um, <laughs> so we were wondering whether you could provide us with an academic Tinder bio and we will decide whether we will swipe left or right <laughs> on your research. Um, <laughs> well, the... Um, the, I suppose perhaps the obvious one's already been taken. Um, uh, it would be some kind of play on Earth time. Yeah. Really. <laughs> I think I'm probably a little bit too old for Tinder. Um, I'm just going to have to go with Future Fossil. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think Tinder has an age rating. It doesn't. Do um, you think Tinder's in a, like, has? It's definitely got like deep timescales on its age rating. It's for sure. Um, well, I have to say, the only, you know, it's not just age that's keeping me off Tinder, shall we say. <laughs> the fact I'm in a loving, committed relationship. There we go. Yeah, I know, but when someone else is on Tinder, it's like the best game to play with their Tinder. I don't know if you've like, you've ever, if you've ever done that. If, you, if you've got a, a pal that's on Tinder, like just doing Tinder for them is, is just is really... It's only if they let you. It's, so, it's only okay if they yeah, let you. Yeah, only if they let you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Consent's important with playing Tinder. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> okay, so Future Fossil and, um, what was it, Girth Time. Well, I think with, <laughs> you, can, you can combine them. I think with Future Fossil, though, because, like, I think it's inherently unsexy, which means that I'm like, you know what? You're just ageist. No, 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 no. Like, I don't want something fossilizing next to me. Um, <laughs> like, that would be a bit... You know, the fact is future fossil as well, you know, I mean, I mean, I know we're all future fossils. I was listening deep time and we're all doing the thing. <laughs> I, was I, I was listening, but I'd like, I don't like to be reminded about the fact that my body is decomposing as we speak. Um, mm. Particularly, it's not what I look for in a partner. Yeah. But <laughs> the fact that there is the honesty and, and the fact that it's not like, whoa, check out my girth, which was the other option. I think that that makes it more intriguing for me. I think I'd be tempted to swipe right because I'd be like, you know what? This person, this this research is... Self-reflective. Yeah, it's self-reflective and it's honest. Off-puttingly honest. Off-puttingly honest, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have Off-puttingly honest future fossils. Yeah, do you have thoughts, Alex? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I would agree with that. I mean, yeah, girth time is definitely giving you a particular... That's a particular... Um, I don't know genre, shall we say, of research? I can, um, but yeah, future you'd, have, you'd want a, an exclamation mark on the end, like it's yeah. good. <laughs> good time, exclamation point, yes. Well, that, makes, uh, okay, that makes it almost like you know, hammer time, stop hammer time. Whereas without the exclamation mark, it's just like environmental humanities bro, and you're like, no, yes, cool. There are a few of those around. There's not many, I would have to say, in the environments of humanities, but you definitely de- get it's a different it's a different yeah you know, like class of bro. <laughs> <laughs> the bro scene thoughts no anthro bro scene that's definitely a new scene. That's definitely how many scenes are there? What is your position on all the scenes? Like I tried to list them with a friend earlier, um, in terms of increasing <laughs> levels of that's banter. <laughs> All right, <laughs> not you. I have other friends. I know that. Like, I would be fully into that because you did it with someone else. I'm like, oh, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you could make up your own ones, Louise. But like, so what? Are the ones that kind of stick out for you. The ones I always kind of remember are like um, shipwrecker scene, which is Steve Mintz. And again, this is not to denigrate people's work. I just find it funny how many scenes there are. There are too many scenes. 
Um, and Shipwreck Casino always makes me laugh because it's just ridiculous. Um, as much as I, I like his work a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it doesn't flow off the tongue quite. The no, way. it doesn't. It's terrible. It's, it's, yeah. Itself is a shipwreck. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have a great deal of kind of, yeah, it's not a great exercise in branding. I think. No. It's a, kind of a more a niche audience. It's more your kind of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe we should just all have our own scene. Everyone's mm-hmm. got their own. Um, I really like the idea of the anthro-bro scene. Not anthro-bro that scene, yeah. it, but um, mm-hmm. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to see who would put their hand up and join. What would that look like, the anthro-bro scene? Oh well, yeah, who? Oh no, you know what? Let's do it. We, we can have a, have a we'll have a new a new thing. Okay, top five scholars of the anthro-bro scene. Go. Timothy <laughs> <laughs> um, Morton. No. <laughs> This is what you were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, you just put your hand up if, if you feel you've gone too far. This might yeah. be- <laughs> um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to respectfully... Um, decline, fair enough. Think, yeah, decline to answer that. Fine. <laughs> um, I yeah. think it could make a really interesting, you know, compliment to queer ecologies, though. Queer ecologies in the anthropocene yeah. sounds like an excellent title for a paper someone needs to write. Definitely. Not yeah, but TMTM yeah. anyway. Like, yeah. TMTM. Imagine the scenes if they had their conference in the same venue as well. Oh my god, it'd be great. I mean, did you see that there was that Twitter thread the other day about the um uh, the early modern like Shakespeare Renaissance studies conference at the same time as the like MMA weightlifting conference, and there was just <laughs> the best mashup ever. It was great. Yeah. Um, so either way, someone's going to end up chased by a bear. That was <laughs> fantastic, wonderful, made my day. <laughs> Speaking of praxis, um, obviously, according to Alex, because I've not read it, footprints take you all over the world from Edinburgh to the Barrier Reef, Shanghai. Is your carbon footprint refable? To allow our ongoing recordings to continue in a constructive environment, we have agreed to pause this episode and to create a period of calm. Is your carbon footprint refable? Um, no, it's pretty bad if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was something I really wrestled with um, and, and how, how I could justify it um, versus how I would tell the story if I didn't do it. Um, I mean, what what... It's not a justification, but a lot of the traveling kind of happened at once. You know, I happened to be in Australia for an extended period of time. And a lot of the book talks about, you know, a number of trips I did then. So, but, you know, that doesn't, that cuts no ice, I'm sure. And, you know, people will be rolling their eyes. If they, it does cut ice in some ways, David. It, well, it does cut quite <laughs> oh, My God. polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> My polar bear. <laughs> oh, my, my shame. My shame we're talking about. <laughs> but did you find that, because I'm actually like, increasingly like interested in this in terms of humanity scholars from sort of like more arts and literary backgrounds in terms of field work is a very like, it's not a term that gets applied to our disciplines very often. Mm. So did you feel like, did you feel, was that kind of cr- like presented as field work? What were you doing on these trips? Where did you go? Why did you think it was important to actually physically be in these spaces to be able to write about them? Um, well, I felt it was important to be in the spaces to write about them because, you know, the whole thing is about telling stories. Um, you know, it's about, as I said, it's about the stories we're telling, all of us. Um, and, I, you know, I needed to, to bring people into those spaces as well. You know, so another chapter um, talks about how, you know, efforts to make, uh, high-level nuclear waste safe for uh, 10,000 years. So I visited a repository that's being built in Finland called Onkolo, where they've dug a series of tunnels half a kilometre deep in the bedrock, and and they've got various mechanisms and technologies in place to to store the waste in in such a way that it will never trouble future generations. And um, I really felt that, you know, to write about that, you know, to think about what that means to, to, to create this repository, I had to go and stand in it. I had to go and, you know, get, you know, get someone to take me down to the bottom of that tunnel and feel what it was like to be half a kilometre 
below the earth um, and and what it might feel like for someone to intrude on that mm-hmm. you know um, dozens hundreds of generations from now what they might think when they found it so it you know it, it felt like that the story demanded that um, but you know as you know I, I, maybe it's you know it's not it's not inappropriate to say this, given given that it's this per- podcast. But I really wasn't thinking about it as a method or as a practice. <laughs> very much a case of um, you know going to the places, you know, find out what's there, and also talk to the people, you know, talk to the scientists, to the engineers, to the people mm-hmm. who actually know about this stuff. Because, like I said, you know, I really had to lean into my ignorance um, in 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 telling these stories and in, in writing this book because it took me all kinds of places that I never would have thought I'd have gone to uh, beforehand. Um, yeah, so if I, you know, get it, giving you know, create, creating an opportunity for for you know these amazing coral reef scientists and plastic scientists and, and engineers who are thinking about to store nuclear waste safely and so on, and giving them a, a kind of platform. I think I felt was really important as well. What was the most like mind boggling? encounter or fact that you found from engaging with those kind of um different research communities science 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 what did you learn from science (laughs) um well i mean it was all kind of mind-blowing in 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 some respects i mean there was always that slight edge the kind of the aura the glow of um panic inadequacy that you know do i really understand what this person is telling me um I got to hold an ice core. Um, I went to an Antarctic research laboratory in Hobart, Tasmania, and um, got to hold. And it wasn't wasn't one of their more impressive kind of specimens. It wasn't, you know, a kind of piece of blue ice that's two million years old or whatever. The guy said it was probably younger than I was, actually. It was about 30 years old. Just rolled Um, out the tourist ice. No, yes, it was. Yeah, it's, it was an offcut, I think. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was just amazing to hold because you know one of the, the amazing things you know I discovered is that you know ice holds all of this incredible information about past climates, but in a really precise way. You know, you can you know almost to the year. So you know they, you can you know information gets laid down in layers according to snow you know annual snowfalls and then gets kind of sealed in in bubbles. So, you know, whether it's kind of atmospheric chemicals or tiny bits of pollen or, you know, bits of, you know, kind of uh, traces of lead, or charcoal or whatever it might be. Um, and you can tell really precise stories about, you know, changes in, in Earth's climate and then changes in human history. Um, and, and it was really incredible to hold that and to think that there was all this information about the world that I'd lived in and and kind of played, played a part particularly latterly in shaping because it's the last... 20 30 years when we've we've had you know the impacts we're having on the planet have really accelerated you know um i was like holding a little chunk of the anthropocene in my hands which was yeah it was just the size of like a loaf of bread it was nothing really um it was just odd little chunk did you worry about dropping it? I would totally freak out about dropping this. Yeah. I wouldn't device. hold it in the first place. Like, too dangerous. Well, the other thing I held, I was worried about dropping. So I, I went to the National Museum of Scotland to, to find out about um, the kind of earliest human technologies. And I got to hold a 200,000-year-old hand axe. Um, and you think, you know, it's made of stone. It, if you drop it, it's not much of a difference. Who knows? But um, I held it with my right hand to start with. Um and it just felt this awkward, and I transferred it to my left, and it immediately felt right as if it had been kind of shaped for a left-handed person, and that was just the inc- most incredible moment of connection across, you know, really deep time. So I was really worried about dropping that. But in the the ice core, we we, we they took us into a, um, a a big freezer that was minus nineteen degrees, so there was no real chance of it being slippery or dropping it. Thankfully. I was more concerned about my my kind of nose freezing. <laughs> By which I mean, this is a timely contribution to research. I mean, like, so because it's interesting when you're then you're thinking about like, um, well, the figure of the bubble there is 
it to me is like a different type of future fossil to some of the other stuff that you write about, which is kind of a little bit more, I guess, tangible in terms of it, it's mostly kind of focused on forms of waste and, and like the harmful kind of futures of waste. So um, Louise was once described by a man on the internet as trash. So what are your <laughs> thoughts on um, what kind of future fossil does that make her? Mm. <laughs> Probably the most valuable kind, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it's, face it's Alex. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so much of what of, of what will fossilize of us is what's in landfill. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you know, modern landfills are, are designed so that nothing gets out. None of these toxic mm-hmm. chemicals can kind of leach into the groundwater or, or what have you, and cause problems. So that's the ideal environment for fossilization. Um, of you know, and so yeah, our trash is someone else's treasure. Some future. Oh, Louise! Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, thanks, bestie. <laughs> you could become gilded in pyrite. No, oh, excellent, <laughs> definitely, all <laughs> right, definitely not. Um, yeah. So, no, on you go. No, I was just going to say because one of um, I actually read the book. Um, well, I read well those books. Oh my god, have you read his books? Um, I read the books, yeah. Um, Sorry. Um, but the the one I always remember from Footprints was when, uh, so it was during, I, I bought it during the lockdown because like, it, well, sad times, but that's when it was like originally supposed to launch, right, right before mm. the lockdown hit. Um, uh, and I remember sitting in my back garden and reading the chapter about chickens and chicken bones um, and just being like, I'm so freaked out by this concept. I'd never thought about the scale of chickens before in my life. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, as vegetarian, like, I don't know, Louise, do you ever think about the scale of, of chickens? I mean, no, I'm actually quasi-vegan, Alex, but um, it's oh fine. It's fine. <laughs> quasi-vegan, quasi-twat. Yeah, <laughs> massive twat. <laughs> um, yeah, no, <laughs> but no, no, I, I, it doesn't, as far as I'm, I, I don't kind of, my, part of my brain shuts down to that. I mean, obviously it sounds a bit weird, like as someone who doesn't eat meat, but my brain does shut down to the immense amount of waste that there must be like the, 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 I, I know of something I've never, ever thought about because yeah, I mean, literally it's just carcass after carcass really. So where does that yeah. go? Yeah. It goes into landfill and you know, there's going to be, you know, so one of the other kind of future fossils that I think about is absence, you know, that the fact that biodiversity is declining, we're in an extinction mm-hmm. crisis and um, you know, there'll be, a lot of species that just aren't around, that absence is itself a kind of trace. Mm-hmm. It'll leave other kind of impacts in terms of, you know, when, when that ecological niche is opened up um, and, and um, you know, what will fill it. But yet what will be left are the huge quantities of, of the bones of domesticated animals that we've killed to eat and, um, and you know, and some lesser instances you know like clothes and so on but you're mostly to eat mm. um uh so yeah the, the the chicken bones i mean it's gonna i mean the chicken is it's a an animal that that will be found in vast quantities on every continent mm-hmm. apart from antarctica where you're not allowed to leave any waste um it's going to be one of the key signatures along with you know traces of nuclear fallout and um and, and anthropogenic carbon i think um, I didn't think for a minute you were talking about the scale of chickens that you were just talking about, like a giant chicken. <laughs> I mean that too, absolutely. If you combine nuclear radiation and the chicken bones, that's where we're le- that's where we're headed to. You know, come on. Would you, would you rather fight a horse, <laughs> a horse-sized chicken, or ten chicken-sized horses? <laughs> <laughs> um. I think a horse-sized chicken for me, personally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, do I have any weapons? Um, only those in the wasteland. Around you. Yeah, in the wasteland of this nuclear <laughs> age. Where the, well, yeah. I'm now thinking about an updated version of Elliot's The Wasteland, where it just opens with an image of a, a gigantic, yeah, radioactive chicken. <laughs> I'm the fucking Fisher King! Sorry. <laughs> Shanti, Shanti. <laughs> I think I choose to fight off ten horse-sized chicken. Was it ten chicken-sized horses? Chicken but with horses. a massive um, horse-sized chicken bone. <laughs> <laughs> horse-sized chicken leg. Mm. Mm. 
That's imagine the drumstick on that. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> Before we got into the chickens, Louise, you had a question. I completely like derailed it. Uh, I, I, I was just busy it. doing chickens in different voices. Uh, Elliot. Um, yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was awful. Um, I think the sea shanty was where I was going to move. Again, she shanty. I can't. I'm not very good with um, tongue twisters and things, even though that's just two words. Um, but uh, talking about, well, I'm not even related to anything. You've written on uh, the dark side of the, of the of the thing that I can't say. The shanty, 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 Fucking Ellie, you can't get rid of him. It's just, it's a, it's a tradition. Keeps coming back. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> These jokes are so bad. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, I haven't mentioned cats yet, and T.S. Eliot yes, has been in the room for about, I don't know, 20, two minutes, and I haven't mentioned cats. So this is a win. But I've mentioned it now. Um, they make a lot of their scenery out of rubbish because they're in a junkyard. Oh, reflect. Um, <laughs> do you want to just ask the question about the thing that I can't I'll, it, I'll try it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> you wrote about the sea shanty craze on TikTok mm. and the dark side of the sea shanty. Um, and we just wanted to hear more about that because when we were looking through your research outputs, this was one of them. And I always like going for the weirdest title of people's research outputs in our quote yeah. research before the episodes. Yeah, I imagine it would stand out. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, it was just a really short thing that I did for Prospect magazine, so I can't claim to be an expert. But yeah, you know, it was just to point out that the Wellerman song is is a cutting in song. You know, it's a song that was sung specifically when the whalers were basically cutting up the whales they'd caught, and and to highlight that connection to an industry that was hugely destructive um and and um yeah to cheer everyone up that way basically just to take a a great big dump on everyone's um vibe i think (laughs) really really spoiled the party and uh, yeah i got i did get quite a lot of you know um you know there's this published somewhere where you'd have like below the line comments and it was on it was sent around on twitter and quite a lot of people were unhappy about that thanks for bringing it did you get sea shanty hate mail not directly, but a lot of like, why? Why is he making us feel bad about our specialties? <laughs> We're having a terrible, terrible time. Oh, and this is just taking us back to the Tinder profile. Like, why does he make me feel bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do feel like maybe I should have just kept it to myself because <laughs> um, needed, you know, a little bit of a boost. So he, um, everybody needed, everyone needed that TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> but so I mean I didn't engage with the discourse because I was just too busy being on TikTok. Um too busy vibing. Too busy vibing, trying to pretend I'm a youth. Oh my god. I got bullied into recording TikTok for fucking Durham students the other day because they asked me to and I'm too afraid that they won't think I'm the cool lecturer, so I agree. <laughs> I've not seen it yet. I don't know if it's actually getting posted, but... Um, Can you be the cool lecturer if you are part of the downfall of the platform that the youth enjoy? Don't, like, don't even. I can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> like, the, the turmoil of like, yeah, sure, kids, I'm cool. Um, and the, the repercussions are just huge. It's just going to mess with my mind. Um, but the, the Wellerman, back to actually the actual point of the question that I was going to ask. Like, so where does that, where, what is a Wellerman? Where does that come from? Like, I'm presuming you know. <laughs> um. I, have to read, I have to read the article again. I can't, I can't remember the, de- I mean, it, it, um, I could get it up now and read it if you want. Read it. No, let's not do that. I can't Just read remember. it out for the last 10 minutes. I can't remember. <laughs> the details i'm afraid to say but read it everyone the dark side of the sea chanty prospect magazine it'll really cheer yeah. you up <laughs> and because it's basically the whole point is like it's a, it's a harvesting song right but yeah. the har- what it's harvesting is whale flesh mm. so yeah. like it's you're saying it's sort of a, akin to a form of work song so yeah. my question yeah. is then what would you what would you say is like an academic equivalent what's an academia work song <laughs> what kind of shanties do we have? Well, <laughs> shanty, shanties. Shanty, 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 shanty. 
<laughs> well, we definitely should. Um, I think we should write a few, or we even someone should write a few. Um, you know, for marking, you know, and make marking more of a collaborative activity mm-hmm. that we all get together and we sing these songs as we turn the page. And, <laughs> turn um, the page and cross over things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of what rhymes with the 19th century was indeed a period of change, as was every other period of history. <laughs> That's the classic! <laughs> oh, it, it could become a, an alternative form of assessment. You know, you've got your learning journal. But, or, you know, write a sea shanty. I would love that. That Definitely. would be great. I would enjoy that very much. <laughs> a for everybody. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, but then you'll get some, some one student in the class that's like, mm, actually, I think you'll find that the sea shanty has a dark history. And you'll be like, David, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> This is not a, you know. <laughs> You've got your degrees. Leave. <laughs> Leave. <laughs> Go publish more books. <laughs> no, I think I learned my lesson on that one. POV. It's marking season. Time goes by so slowly. Time goes by so slowly. We like to wrap up then by just sort of asking, uh, what are you up to? Is there anything that you are currently working on? What is your new horrible way of phrasing it? What are you? What's your new thing? Now you've done this very impressive thing and it's finished and no one cares about it anymore. What are you doing next? <laughs> you've been through a ref cycle. <laughs> what's what, what? You know what good are you now? <laughs> Stuff has crashed. You're on the floor. How are you going to pick yourself up? Um, I'm working at very early stages of a new book um, on how, well, on what nature can teach us about adapting to the world to come. So um, on the one hand, we've got um, human-driven ev- evolution as, uh, you know, and you know, very distinctive consequence of the Anthropocene, we're creating a world that a lot of animals can't live in and therefore their their numbers are declining, but some are adapting their behaviours, their body sizes, body plans, coloration, um, how they communicate, um, how they tell the times in terms of, you know, aligning with, you know, the seasons and so on. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned, I think, in in this innate... um, of animal and and plants creativity and this capacity to adapt and change and so what i'm interested in is how can we take a story that's really quite um you know bleak in some ways you know quite troubling you know the fact that we're forcing this kind of strain on so many species forcing this adaptation and turn it around and give it a smile (laughs) um (laughs) upside down literally it's about adapting Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, can, can, so down a scene. Can, we have to adapt as well. That's the thing. You wait, we are going to have to adapt. We can't take ourselves out of this story. So what can we learn? And in the course of doing that, can we maybe learn to appreciate other creatures in, in a new and better way? So, yeah. Um, is yeah. poetry going to be important for that again? Or is poetry just like, no, no longer useful for this? <laughs> maybe can poetry adapt? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Is adaptation poetry? Oh no, don't. That's definitely a thing. People want hundred percent. Why is it? Why is it that every time I think I'm saying something that's fucking outrageous just to take the piss out of academia, someone's fucking doing it? (laughs) I'm sure it's very important work, Louise. I'm sure it is, but why? (laughs) Cool. Okay. Thank you so much, David. Um, is there any places that people can check out your um, adapter scene um, work? <laughs> I think all good bookshops, I hope. Yeah, cool. Um, particularly independents, we like those. Don't buy them on Amazon. That will completely um, miss the point, right? <laughs> uh, cool. And then, oh, yes, I was going to do a shout out for the Edinburgh Environmental Humanities Network that you are also heading up and do mm. things with all the time. So you can follow David there. Can I give a shout out as well? Yeah, do a shout out, yeah. Do a shout out to my now former PhD student, Dr. Fred Carter, who Woo-hoo! passed his driver yesterday with corrections. Yes, so with lots corrections. Of, um, lots of love 
and admiration, but I'm sure a good bit of hate and resentment as well. Didn't she refuse to come on the podcast, Alex? What was that? Wasn't, didn't Fred refuse to come on the podcast? Oh, no, not refuse. I just have asked him multiple times and he's always evaded it because he's a wily creature. Slippery. <laughs> um, but yes, no, notably... Congratulations this to about... Dr. Slippery Carter. <laughs> Dr. Slippery Carter. <laughs> <laughs> um, when this comes oh, out, it'll probably be like at least three months from now. So <laughs> he's going to enjoy that shout out. Thank you for listening to Law My Praxis. We'll be sending out a democratic survey to collect your thoughts on the pause in the middle of this programme. Please fill this in and return it back to us within two days. We've been Law My Praxis. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, a five-star output deserves five-star reviews. No reviewer two comments, please. Shout out to our biggest fan and most consistent listener, my mother. Faye, you can get in touch with us by emailing lawmypraxis at gmail.com or finding us on Twitter at lawmypraxis.